Hello, everyone. Um, in a moment, I'm going to ask all of you to stand so we can read the text for today and go through the sermon. Um, all right, I'm ready now. All right, uh, open your Bibles to uh, Matthew 7 as we rise to read the word. Um, so I ask all of you to stand up. One more time. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, the, will your Father who is in heaven give gift, good gifts to those who ask him. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Please sit. Lord, we thank you that you have gathered us in your name and you have been with us so far and you have helped us worship in many ways and in, in talking to one another in prayer and worshiping together with a song. This whole thing has been worship after worship after worship, Lord. From the very beginning, we gather together in this place and say hi to one another all the way to the end, Lord. This is corporate worship, and we are grateful that you get to bring it about every week by your might and your might alone, Father. So we bring ourselves before you to listen from your word and to worship you in hearing and understanding and, and obeying your voice. So open our hearts, the eyes of our hearts that we may see, that we may understand, that we may grasp your word and rejoice in it and find our chains are broken by your truth, Lord, that we may find freedom, that the truth may set us free to worship you and to serve you and to be your slaves, your bond servants. And let your spirit be in this place to control us, to focus, to help me preach and to also listen to your word as I communicated to my brothers and sisters. I pray we all rejoice in the fact 
that the living God who spoke to Israel in that magnificent, glorious way up to a point where they just spoke out and said, let not God speak to us from this point on lest we die. That very same God, that very same glorious God of the universe, heaven and earth, the maker of all things, the owner of all things, has delighted to dwell in each and every one of us and speaking to us today. Let us rejoice in this as being your people, Lord God. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so you guys remember last week we went through the entire chapter of Matthew 6. Um, and um, there was one topic to cover last week. Um, but before we get there, I just want us to have like a bigger picture. I, I want us to recount where we are in this Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is speaking. Um, the first thing I think all of us, any person with like a brain asks is like, where did I come from? Why am I here? Right? Or who am I? These are very basic questions that people ask and the world has zero answers for them. Yes, we try to answer them by different things, right? Like we say, I belong to this nation or I'm this tall, therefore that's who I am. That's not really who you are at the core of you. So Jesus comes in and from the beginning of the sermon, he starts with what the citizens of heaven, the children of God really are. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he explains it so clearly what it means to be who, who we are and how we became who we are. It is God's righteousness. It's God lead, God's leading that makes us who we are. It's God's regenerative work on us. He gave us a new birth, and that's what makes us who we are. And there's no talk of how tall you are, which tribe you belong to, which nation you live in there. If you want to know which nation you live in, it's called the kingdom of heaven, and it's not limited by location. But right after that comes the most basic reality about human beings. Human beings, the heart of a person, is actually an idol factory. And there is a reason for it. We are created to worship God. And if we do not know God, and if we do not worship God, the immediate thing that takes place is we have to worship something else. We could worship ourselves. We could worship what the rest of the community is worshiping. We could worship the current trends. We can worship money. That's why the first commandment is, you shall not have any other gods before me. That's the fundamental nature of humans. You guys could raise up your hands and say, how about agnostics? How about atheists? They don't worship anything. They do. Right? They're just saying, I don't believe in God, and I hate him. That's all. Because they worship something, anything that has to do with God, they hate. Because they have principles. They have things that they believe. They could be worshiping themselves. They could be worshiping what they could accomplish. They could be worshiping science. They could be worshiping whatever, the universe. I mean, human worship or human religion is very mixed. 
So Jesus comes in and speaks against false religion. And he says false religion kills. But at the same time, he lays down the foundation for true religion. And he says true religion helps keep us in the path of life, in the way of righteousness, in right standing with God. This is where we've been. And the details of that is, Jesus comes in and tells us what the citizens of king, the kingdom of God are like. They are meek, lowly. They are persecuted for righteousness' sake. They are hungry and thirsty for the righteousness that God gives. They are peacemakers. They are lovers of humanity. They are spiritually poor. They are not proud of themselves. They can really see themselves in comparison to God's holiness. So he says, not only are you guys this way, you are the light the world, to the world. You are the solution. You are the people who can take the wisdom of the reality of God is who made us. And God is who we should worship. And if we don't, if we don't we're all prisoners of false religion that does not give life. So he tells us, not only do you have a solution for yourself, not only do you have a transformed nature, you are a solution to the earth. You give taste to the earth. You give wisdom, enlightenment to the world, he says. And then immediately after that, Jesus speaks about, I have not come to, to abolish the law. He says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He says, the Old Testament is not going to be canceled from this point on. I have come to do the things that are written in the Old Testament that all human beings should have done. But because of our weakness, because of our sins, we couldn't keep. Jesus says, I've come to actually accomplish it all or to fulfill it all. And immediately after that, he told us, because, he says, I've come to fulfill it because unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will in no way enter heaven. So he says, there's a righteousness that God requires that no one will be able to enter heaven. And that righteousness, Jesus says, is to the detail of the dots and the commas of the Old Testament law and truth. So he describes because he's generous to us and he wants us to understand he's not just talking above our heads he explains to us what he means by the righteousness of the pharisees for us especially who live in the 21st century and do not know the pharisees and the scribes we don't have this information so it's a beautiful thing that it's put down in words in the sermon on the mount the first thing that false religion does is misinterpret God's law. The first thing false religion does is says God's law is foolish. God's law is outdated. It's too strict. It's impossible to do. Therefore, we got to have a lesser law, a more sensible law, a more up-to-date progressive law, a law that I could do. I don't, I don't need to change as a sinner. I stay as a sinner and pursue what works for me. What, see, what makes me feel like I'm a good person and live like that. My conscience will be free. I will call myself a good person. Everybody else will gather around me to tell me I'm a good person. I feel great. Jesus says that will 
kill you. So he says, our relationship with people in this place is what he focused, he focused on, like sexual immorality, like divorce, things like that is what he talks about in that section, which is if you heard the Ten Commandments today, the last six commandments about are about your relationship with people. You shall not kill. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet your neighbor's stuff and possessions and family members. So Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount in that section saying, you need to follow God's direction in your relationship with people. Do not follow your own direction. Do not follow social cues. Don't come together and say, this is popular, so we should follow this trend and live with other people that way because it's not holy. It kills people, actually. And it will kill you as well. And then he talks about hypocrisy in chapter 6, which we covered last week. It says, in our relationship with God, just like I said in the Ten Commandments, the first Four commandments, you shall not have other gods before me. Keep the Sabbath day holy. And those commandments, we're talking about our relationship with God. And God comes and says, don't have your relationship with God and then have it in such a way that other people see that relationship. You make it public and praise you for being a holy person. He says, your relationship with God is a private matter. It's a spiritual matter. It's a serious matter. It really matters for your life that you have that relationship in your life. So he says, do not practice it as a hypocrite, where just because other people say you're a good person, you feel good. Instead, be a good person as you really are made to be when you are born again and pursue the Lord's will in private as it should be sought. Don't do things to get rewards from people. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on the earth or from what treasures that people are going to give you, whether it's approval, whether it's social status, whatever you call it, whether it's success, stuff, money, whatever. All these things, forget that, Jesus told us last week. He told us, instead, lay up your treasures in heaven. He gave us many reasons why that's a good idea for us. He told us, let your relationship and your service to God be private, genuine, from the heart, from a true religion, instead of hypocrisy, which is not true. So, living righteousness in secret before God is true religion, Jesus says to us. And eventually, he says to us, seek first. God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that you treasure on earth will lose their value and you will truly treasure what is appropriate. What is appropriate in this place? Our relationship with God. Seeking God's reign, God's command, God's control over our lives, which is the kingdom of God. And seeking the righteousness that God gives to us that we desperately need to live in right standing with Him. 
So what is the treasure of heaven here? A relationship with the living God according to his word by his grace that is provided to us in the form of righteousness and leading of our lives. This is where we are in the sermon. So false religion already is depicted this way. And the last way Jesus depicts false religion is judgment is what you see in false religion. These people who are already happy with laying down their own philosophies to relate to people and then their own way of relating to God that makes them feel like they're righteous eventually end up judging other people. And that is what is happening in our lives today, right? And that's the text that we come into. So the first thing Jesus says bluntly is just judge not. Judge not. So the first thing I want you guys to know, at least as I divide what I'm presenting to you today, I'm going to divide it into three sections. And the first section is going to be, do not judge others. Do not judge others. This is basically um, the third way the Pharisees and the scribes practiced what they called righteousness in their own definitions. So Jesus says, judge not. And the reason Jesus says, judge not, he gives us right after this and says, it's because God will use your own standards against yourself. When you judge others, God is going to use that as the standard with which he will judge you. And then he continues, and I'm not going to interrupt. I'm just going to present what he has in this place. Because, he says, why would God judge me the way I judge others? Because, he says, immediately after that, with the judgment you pronounce, Jesus says, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Which, this sentence may not make sense to you in this depiction, but it will. It's also found in Luke 6, 37. First of all, before we get anywhere, Jesus pronounces the word judge or defines the word judge as making a decision about someone or measuring something good for someone or something evil for someone. Keep that in mind and listen to what he says in Luke 6, 37. He says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus is giving us pictures of what it's like to judge someone. He's giving us this picture of, like, if you condemn someone, you tell someone you have no hope. Right? God is not going to forgive you. You're actually preaching to yourself when you do that to the other person. You can say, God is not going to forgive you because the sin you committed is horrible. What happens when you commit the same sin or something worse? So all of a sudden, God is not going to forgive you 
because you just said it to the other person. That's what you believe. And that's how you will live. For all intents and purposes, your life is crippled by your own judgment of others. Jesus says, if you measure for someone, like my brother or my sister deserves this amazing gift, and if, if you're that kind of person, God says, God will overwhelm you in that thought process, in that action, in that life, with the gifts that God gives, which is beyond anything you can muster up to think about people or to give to people. So Jesus says, when you judge someone, it's like that. Let's say you're kind to someone. You're measuring good things for them, right? You're kind to them. You actually think that they are good. You love them. Even when they mess up, you don't mind. You forgive them. You, you communicate with them. I'm hurt by what you did, but I still forgive you. You do that, right? What's going to happen to you in your relationship with that Lord? He's a thousand times more forgiving, infinitely more forgiving than any one of us. So you can see that in your life. If you can see the goodness in a person, regardless of all their failures and all their sins, guess what you will also see? If you can see that, we're evil, right? We're so quick to judge someone. If I can do that for a person, how infinitely more could God do that for me. I mean, the cross itself is an illustration of that reality, right? He gave his one and only perfect son to forgive us who have sinned against him, who have nothing good in ourselves. He spoke to us as good. He spoke to us as his children. He spoke to us as saints, as holy people. That's just impossible language, right? So this is what Jesus is saying. When you judge someone, this is what you're doing. So this word, judge not, is not saying like this, this general term, right? It's not like one of those t-shirts, no one will judge me but God, right? Everybody wears it in the world. You know what that means? That means I do whatever I want, right? Nobody has the, like, because you're a sinner, you're a sinner, everybody's a sinner, Nobody could say anything to me. I would live my life however I want to. That's what that t-shirt means. That's not what Jesus is teaching. Judge not does not mean let people do whatever they want because you're a sinner at the end of the day. Or when you see people being evil, be quiet about it. So that like the, the most dominant people are going to be the most evil people in the world. That's, that's not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching whichever way your judgment goes. If you, come, if you become this unmerciful, unrealistic, you know, like double standard person where you make the law severe for other people and you actually relax it for yourself, don't do that, is what he's trying to say. And that's what you will get when you look down in your Bibles. The Apostle Paul, in the, in, the, in the book of Romans, in the letter to a Roman church, in chapter 2, illustrates it this way. This is, he's talking about the Jewish people. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, 
For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? This is one of the biggest evils that comes out of thinking. We can practice our own religion. We can set religion for ourselves. We can set our own moral standards and live. And actually, by some miracle, we end up not judging others. We can't. We constantly judge others. What are Christians right now? They are closed-minded bigots. Right? We are not open-minded about any of the things that the world wants to do right now. Right? That's it. We're outdated people. We are unchanging. We don't listen when they tell us sin is okay. That's because we don't listen to them. And we're saying that's evil. So Jesus says, if you actually practice such a dead religion like that, what's, what's the world saying right now? If someone wants to do something, no one should stop them. They should be fine to do it. There is no such thing as evil and good. Everybody should follow whatever their heart desires. But what do we know? The heart of man is desperately sick. It is wicked. The one thing you don't want to do with your life, God's word says, is follow your desires and your own heart and your own understanding, your own emotions and your own decisions. If you do, it will kill you. So the Apostle Paul is coming here and saying, anyone who practices false, false religion, forget it. Even if you are a Jew and you read the Old Testament and you're practicing it in the way that God does not command, the only thing you're going to end up being like is judging others according to God's holiness and you yourself on this side going and violating God's holiness with the standard which you had against other people. That's the only destiny of all of us who go in a path that doesn't align with God's word. Nobody has the power by themselves to set their own standards and live life in a way that is pleasing to God. So human traditions are sinful and play favorites. For the atheist, God is offensive. For the open-minded people, the word of God is closed-minded, outdated, and offensive. We have gotten into an age where not only the word of God, the truth is offensive. So Jesus says, don't be locked into that kind of dead religion. The only thing you're going to end up doing is you're going to set high standards for people and you're going to set low standards for yourself and you're going to call yourself righteous and you're going to condemn others. 
And I'm not just saying that. Jesus talks to us about what it is like to judge others. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or even worse, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when, you're, when there is a log in your own eye? How can you see from far away a tiny speck, but then there is a log in your own eye, and you can't see the log? At least the log should be keeping you from seeing from distance. It should bother you. It should. Your eye is a very sensitive organ. Or in other words, Jesus is saying, unless your heart is bent and crippled by false religion, there is no way you could have two standards for the other person and for yourself. Jesus is trying to show us there's something very, very crippling that happens to us when we pursue our own understanding of God's law. When we pursue righteousness in our own abilities, one thing that happens to us is our, our ability to know truth, our ability to see truth, our ability to live the truth is taken away. So Jesus says, judging others is exactly like that. It's like seeing a speck in someone else's eye and not noticing a log in our own eyes. So you will end up judging others you, while you yourself practice sin if you do not see yourself in the mirror of God's word. Or you will use God's word as a punishment to others and you will use God, God's word as as a graceful word for yourself. And Jesus says, why do you do it? He says, because you are a hypocrite. All those people who follow false religion, all those people who do not know the gospel, who do not follow or live their lives according to God's word, are going to only be hypocrites. As long as we are living to please people, we are willing to put somebody under the bus to keep our reputation. As long as we want to agree with the majority, we will not care about what's right and wrong. We can't. Our eyes cannot even see properly. So the bottom line issue in this in this part of the, the sermon is we are ascending to righteousness for ourselves and holding everyone else accountable to God's law without having true righteousness. What Jesus is teaching in this place is saying to us, seeing God's law and approving it, mentally ascending to it and saying, God's law is good. It's not good to lie. It's not good to murder. It's not good to hate. Does not mean I myself am righteous. Right? When people come in and says, say, I'm, 
I'm for climate change. When people come in and say, I'm against poverty. When people come in and say, I want to be good to people. I want to be kind to people. And anybody else who's not kind to people, I hate. If they do not do, if they do not look at themselves and realize, am I really kind to people? Am I doing anything about climate change? Do I love people, really? Is that how I behave? You know what they become? Well, they take this moral high ground that they shouldn't to begin with. They actually think they're righteous. They love the planet, they love the poor, and they are kind to everyone automatically. Not because they did anything about it, not because it changed in their hearts who they really are, because they assume as soon as I say these things and I believe these things, I am already attaining to these things. You could be against poverty, but if you do not even see a poor person when you pass by them, you're not really against poverty as you think you are. You don't even see their pain or their hurt. How could you be against what they're going through? And if you don't do anything for them, if you don't try to equalize even the way people treat them, you're not doing anything. You're not thinking anything that's helpful, meaningful to them. You think you're against poverty. Chances are you're actually part of the problem. There's not a bunch of like resentful people that are like actually sitting down and saying, how do we make everyone poor? That's not how sin works. It's our nature. We want everything for me, mine. I don't want to share. I just want to succeed. I don't even care about other people. I don't even see other people. That's how I'm so consumed by me. Live like that naturally. At the end of your life, you find out you didn't care about the poor. And this is what happens, Jesus says, at the end of the age. Jesus comes and says, he separates the sheep from the goats and says, you fed me. You gave me something to drink. The first thing that people that are going to ask is, they're going to ask is like, when did we do that? And Jesus says, if you did it to the least of these, my brothers, if you did it to your brother and sister, it's like you fed me, you gave me food to eat. So he's telling them, your life, the way you lived your life, this is how it was. The same happens to the side that is rejected, that is considered the wicked. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. And they ask, Lord, they say, we served you with all of our lives. When did we not do these things? And Jesus says, it was just real life. There were people right next to you. It wasn't just at church service that you're supposed to become this person. And then the rest of your life, you're just whatever you want. That has to transfer to all of your life, in all areas of your life. 
Jesus is not talking about charity there, by the way. Jesus is talking about, do our life, does our life have substance? When you say, I obey the Lord, do you know what He commands? Are you doing anything about it? When you say, I'm a Christian, I, I love people. Do you stand with those whom nobody loves? Do you put an effort into it? Does it mean anything in your life? Does it even cost you like two minutes a week? When you say you love people? So judgment is displaying something very broken about the human heart. We actually think we are something that we are not in reality. The law of God or the word of God, the work that Christ has done for us to save us, it's a beautiful reality. It's a gift given to us. But Christ commands his people to live like he lived, to follow after him, to die to ourselves, carry our cross, and go after him, follow him. If we don't, Jesus says, you're stuck in judging others. And this is the worst of the problem. You're stuck in mis-evaluating yourself. You are going to think you are righteous, but there is a log in your eye. You're not going to have any value for the word of God. You're going to, by default, hate it. Because the word of God says... If you say you love the poor, wake up early in the morning. There is this person that I want to take you to. Give up your sleep. Give up your money. Give up your comfort. Give up your friends and go do these things for me. How could we love that? If we just by automatically say, I love the poor, we're just perfect. Like, we're good. If you're fine, if your head convinces you, that you're doing great all by yourself, why would you get up early in the morning? Why would you go give up something that will give you value to yourself? Why would you share what you have? That's what Jesus is saying at the heart of this problem is. So that makes us merciless and blind to our own sin. Instead of, instead of judging ourselves, which your sight is for that, by the way, the sight that Jesus is talking about is our understanding, the way we see things. It's the Word of God that is our sight, right? We have eyes to see when we treasure God last week. You guys remember, right? If your eye is wicked, everything is dark in your life. If your eye is righteous, you will see righteously. What's that eye conversation about? If you treasure people's approval, everything you see is who can help build me? My life. You don't pursue people to do good things for them. That's not what Jesus rebuked. You pursue people for your own benefit. That's what treasures on earth is. When you pursue the Lord in secret, where nobody could reward you, Jesus told us, that's the good eye. If you're trying to serve God, the first thing God says is, you can't serve me. I'm not served by human hands. Serve your brothers and sisters. Everything that you have, I gave you as a gift, and it will end. Use it to serve one another. So without God, humanity is lost in itself. 
But the first thing that this insight is given to us for, the Word of God is given to us for, is so that we can see ourselves and judge ourselves. Say, you know what? I say I love my brothers and sisters, but I don't even know their names. You know what? I say I love my brothers and sisters. When I look at 168 hours of my week, I barely spend an hour with them. So it's not matching up what I'm claiming. Because God's law says, love your brothers and sisters, right? I don't think about them. I don't pray for them. If I'm not around them, I don't even remember them. If that's the way we think love works, it's not. So Jesus is rebuking this intellectual ascent to righteousness and saying, the reason righteousness is giving to you is not so that you can memorize it and think you are righteous. It's so that you can see how righteousness works and realize, wait, I'm not like that. And repent and ask God to help you be that. Seek after God's righteousness with all of your heart instead of being confused and distracted by the praise of this world or by the things of this world. So the full diagnosis is the lack of God's wisdom and the love of man's praise blinds our eyes and makes us judge from an evil heart. Then as we transition to the rest of the text, which is way easier for me to communicate because it's all about judgment in this chapter. It all has to do with judgment. Jesus says in John 7, 24, when the Pharisees came and started judging his disciples and him, saying they do not keep the Sabbath, or they tell him, how dare you heal a man on the Sabbath, more clearly. Jesus says to them, do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. Their problem in this place is not God's law was violated. Their problem in this place was the way we perceive God's law. They thought in the Sabbath it meant you, do, you don't touch anything. You don't carry anything. You don't travel a certain distance. You don't do this and you don't do that. All that they came up with themselves and their own traditions. God's law did not command those things. And according to their tradition, they were judging the Lord Jesus Christ, who literally is God, the giver of the law, the interpreter of the law. So Jesus says to them, don't judge by appearances. Don't judge based on who conforms to your culture, to your social structure. Judge righteous judgment. Judge according to what is right, according to God's word, is what he says to them. So, with this, we launch into the rest of the sermon, which Jesus tells us to judge things. If you understand what it means not to judge, if you really understood what he was trying to communicate to us, then this, like the next statement says this, Do not give to the dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. 
judge righteous judgment is what Jesus is saying in this place. If you learn not to judge others, that's verse 6, by the way, according to the Lord's words, then he says, practice righteous judgment or discernment. Make sure to know who is a brother and a believer, who is a non-believer. How do you interact with a believer? How do you interact with a non-believer? Make sure to know those who hate Christianity. Make sure to know when you communicate the gospel to someone and they actually reject it and they want to literally make your life, destroy your life for it. You don't relate to them as a brother or a sister. It doesn't work like that. That will get you killed pretty quickly. You communicate the word to them. And what did Jesus tell his disciples? If they do not receive it, leave the city. Be wise. Or Jesus told his disciples, I am sending you among wolves as sheep. Be wise as serpents. So Jesus is telling us in this place, make sure your devotion, what's in your heart. How you present yourself, interact with others. Make sure to put it in the right context. He says, present what is holy, what is spiritual, what is heavenly to those who can value it only. If people cannot value it, actually if they hate it, do not present the holy things of God in those situations. And for this, at this point of the sermon, the entire sermon on the mount, if you heard me, I hope by now you feel helpless. That was the point of Jesus' sermon as well. Think about it. He told us how perfect we have to be, how perfectly we have to keep the law of God. He told us we're going to love and we're going to struggle to find the praise of men and women, he told us not to do it. He told us to treasure things that are in heaven. And today he's telling us, if you just keep living your life, you're going to end up having a false religion and judging others, and there is no exception to that. So the question is, how do we do all this? And Jesus is repeatedly telling us. And he's going to repeat it here also. That it is impossible for us. In fact, the first way he describes the citizens of heaven is they're spiritually poor. They cannot do what God commands. They cannot be the person God requires them to be. Well, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you, to that place. He says, I hope, I repeat this, by now you actually realize it's impossible for us to do these things. You could, you could say to me immediately, why did you spend like weeks and weeks to communicate to us something impossible for us to do, when you could have told us already in the beginning, this is impossible for you to do, when you could have 
kept saying, because of Jesus, you could do this. Because of Jesus, you could do it right now. When you could have said, only by grace you're able to accomplish this. Because, because in the 21st century, we're not comfortable to listen to the holiness of God. We run quickly to the grace God gives. That's why we end up in a place, we see God's word and we think we already, by nature, are capable of doing God's will. That's why we end up judging others. Because there is a quick, cheap grace for everything that is wrong in our lives. So, I mean, if I told you, you know what I mean? Live however you want. At the end of your life, God is graceful. You're going to be fine. What do you think is going to happen to your life? You're going to keep going the way you are going. Or even get worse. Definitely get worse as time goes on. But God's law stands against that every time. And that's the purpose of God's law. God's law is communicating God's holiness to us and revealing our sinful nature. That we're not capable of listening to God. We're not capable of doing the things that He requires. And this is where Jesus comes in and says, Ask, have you tried asking? Jacob or uh, James says to us, you do not have because you do not ask. And even when you do ask, you ask amiss. Because your desire is not to do the will of God. Your desire is to find comfort in your own life. So if you feel the burden and the impossibility of all of this, you need to know two things Jesus says. First, he says, in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruits. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, as Christians, as believers who were changed by the gospel, only if we pursue the things that Jesus commands and teaches us, can we bear any fruit in the kingdom of God. Only when we do things the way he teaches us to do them, can we really find the grace that God provides to do His will? Only when we live in holiness with the Holy Spirit, for example, when we have peace with one another, when we love one another, is the Holy Spirit going to lead us from that point on. And then the second thing that Jesus says is, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. That's John 16, 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have, not asked, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Not only does God have the concern of us being able to do his will, which he commands us to do as believers, he has the concern that our joy may be full, that His joy may be in us. And the only way you're able to live joyfully, and you're not going to be stressed out by this, you're not going to dismiss this entirely, is if you ask God and God helps you. If you ask God and God gives you the joy that you need in your life. So ask. 
And this whole entire section, and I don't want to go through it in detail so that it won't take too much time, gives two pictures. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And they're trying to show us what asking should be like. What seeking and knocking have in common is you don't do one knock and leave. You don't do that. That's not how it works. What does knocking sound like? It doesn't sound like that. It sounds something like that, right? Right? You do it repeatedly. How long do you knock? If it's a normal situation, until the door is open to you, right? Unless you're like pulling a prank, but that's not good. How about seeking? When you're looking for something, right? You're seeking something. Like, let's say you lost your phone. And you have to leave the house. What's going to happen? If it's not important, you leave it. But if it is important, and that's what Jesus is trying to communicate in this place, you can't, like, you don't have your car keys, for example, for those of us who drive. You can't just leave the house, right? You have to find it. So you look for it. How do you look for it? You look for, like, you can even go to the silliest of measures to look for it. You look under the sofa, like, you don't even do anything. Everything that you could do to get it. Jesus is saying, when you ask God to help you with this, don't give up. This is so hard to listen to, how am I gonna ever going to do it? Jesus has asked, and don't do it once. Do it until you see this thing becoming a reality, and don't stop. Keep asking. That's actually what faith means, according to Jesus' definition. Jesus even asks, when the Son of God returns, will he find faith in the earth related to this topic? Just like you know, if I don't have my car keys, I am not able to drive. Do you know, if you don't ask, you cannot do the will of God desperately? If you do, you will ask. And then you won't ask useless things or things that you can spend on your pleasures you ask for what you desperately desperately need if your treasure is in heaven if your treasure is to please god if you're seeking about uh, after god's righteousness after god's reign over your life what you will ask for is the righteousness god gives what you will ask for is lord please lead me in my life so that i can do your will I can be the person that lives in a manner that is pleasing in your sight. So Jesus communicates that to us. So in the end, Jesus closes by illustrating to us that, again, as I said earlier, he knocks us down by saying, you are evil. You being evil know how to get gifts good gifts to your children. So that should end the sermon for us. Jesus is telling us, these are the, the righteous requirements that I have for you, but guess what? You are evil. So that means we cannot, we're not capable of practicing righteousness. But then Jesus says, if you ask, God can give you the good gifts that you need to do His will. If you ask, Jesus says, as believers in Christ, abiding in Christ, he says, 
you're going to be capable of living God's word in your life and finding the fullness of joy that you will not find anywhere else. So this is what it says. So finally, um, Jesus talks about the complete, the end of the sermon. This is where he ends the whole thing that he has been saying up to this point. He talks about the royal law, which is, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is, Jesus says, the law and the prophets. Jesus says, ultimately, this whole thing I've been communicating to you, saying, not a dot, not a, like a comma out of the law will be taken away. I will fulfill it. And you should also live according to the word of God, the law of God, the Old Testament, everything God has revealed in the Old and the New Testament. Jesus says, there is one thing that I'm trying to communicate to you. That is, you should love others as you love yourself. And he doesn't say it in an archaic way, in a complicated, like, general way. He says it in a very simple way. What does it mean to love others as we love ourselves? Whatever you want other people to do to you, do to them. When you stumble, when you make mistakes, do you want other people to forgive you? Well, when other people sin against you, forgive them. Do you want other people to be righteous towards you? To be great in their faith? To pursue God with all of their hearts? To be amazing people and to teach you and to interact with you and to communicate to you God's holy will? Become that person as well. Grow in the faith. Be this person that is holy and righteous and that can communicate God's word to other people. So this is the royal law that God or the Lord Jesus gives to us. And he says it fulfills the entire law of God. Romans 8 tells us this. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. By the, like what he's trying to say to us is, don't worry about how complicated God's law seems, how burdensome God's law seems. Those who are in Christ Jesus are able to fulfill it, to do it. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. As we seek to pursue God, as we seek to serve God, as we seek to do God's will in our lives, by faith in Christ Jesus, we are free from condemnation. As we fail to do what God requires, it is covered by the blood of Christ. As we seek to do God's will, God's Spirit, by grace, helps us to do God's will. So if you desire to love people, Jesus wants us to start with, I am evil, I am evil, I cannot do it. So what do I need? I need a Savior. I need the, the completed work of Christ, the perfect righteousness of Christ to be counted to me first. 
I need to be righteous because of him. And then as I try to step forward to do it, two outcomes will be true. One, I will be able to obey God's word by God's grace alone. Two, I will fail to obey God's word. In reality, all of our obedience is mixed. So my failures are covered again by the blood of Christ. My success is given to me by the grace of God. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit of God. So Jesus says, if you understand this, if you understand what it means to love others, now you understand what the opposite of judging others looks like. What the opposite of false religion looks like overall. So Jesus says, strive to enter by this narrow gate and to pursue this narrow path into life. He says, a lot of people are going to choose the first choice. A lot of people are going to choose to pursue their own understanding. A lot of people are going to forget. They're going to think God's law is too strict and pursue whatever they think works for them. A lot of people are going to treasure things that they see and can touch and can get value out of. A lot of people are going to seek people's approval and not God's approval in their lives. He says many are going to keep living like they're already righteous because they know God's word without doing anything about it or living according to it. So they're going to end up judging others and never seeing their own sin. And Jesus says that life will lead to destruction. Death is what he's talking about. And he's talking about the second death. But few people are going to live by faith in Christ. Few people are going to be very serious to obey God's word. They're going to be struggling. They're going to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness that comes from God. Few people. This is the work of God in them. This is not their own ability that makes them do that. Few people are going to live in such a way that God is their treasure. Not people's approval or the things they can get for themselves on this earth. Few people are going to live in such a way that they see their own inadequacies and in living like that. Their own failures, their own need for grace. That they don't judge others. At least they will see their own sin much more as it really is represented in their own eye as a, this huge log and see that what's in my brother's eye is actually a speck. I need the immediate help. The people that ask for God to give them these things, the people that seek after God with all of their hearts, those are the few people. So Jesus says, strive. This is not something you read and say, I believe in it and I ascend to it and then forget about it the rest of the week. No, this is something you strive. This is something you live out. This is something you treasure. This is something you go after with all of your being. Not that your work is going to save you at the end of the day. 
But if you are saved, that's how you will live. And the saved will enter life. That kind of striving, that kind of struggle leads to eternal life, Jesus says. So Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Luke 13, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. When and then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, that means you have no fellowship with me. You have no seeking of the things that are in heaven. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our street. But he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. The reason being all you workers of evil. Your life represents judging others. Your life represents not caring about God's law. Your life represents false religion. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. And people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and recline at table at the kingdom of God. You know who he is saying this to? The people, the Jewish people. Right? They taught because they were Jewish, they were safe. Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. Because we claim to be Christians, that doesn't make us righteous. Because we think God's law is a good idea, that doesn't make us righteous. Because we are against poverty, that doesn't make us righteous or good at all. He's saying, in reality, you know who will be saved? Whoever from around the world, he tells them, anyone, Gentiles, he says, who really, truly seek after God. Who really, truly have a Lord that they obey. Who really do not live and perform evil with their lives. Those are the people that will recline with Abraham. And the last thing that Jesus warns us as he communicates this truth to us, he says, beware of ravenous wolves. He says, beware of, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And this is the one thing that I want to emphasize as I close. He says, beware, beware of false speakers for God who look Christian, but are there to devour Christians. Beware of anyone who preaches to you anything contrary to what the Lord Jesus Christ has preached in the sermon. Beware of anyone that is in the place of authority that says to you, peace, peace, you're fine. God loves you as you really are. Beware of that. He says to us, beware of the person who says to you, you know God's law all by yourself. You don't, you don't need the Bible to know that. You don't need to struggle. You don't need to strive. You don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to see the burden of how impossible to do God's will. 
You just need to relax. You're a Christian. Beware of that. And Jesus says, you will recognize them by their own fruits. These people who are false teachers or false prophets. Because they're not really Christians. They neither do God's will, nor do they teach God's will. They neither accept God's word, nor do they actually live according to it. They think God's word needs to be updated. They think God's word needs to be dumbed down, watered down, so that you get cheap grace. Everything is fine. You can go to the Old Testament and God says directly to the false prophets of the Old Testament, this people have lightly healed the wounds of my people. They say to them, peace, peace, everything is okay, you're doing great, God is okay with you, and that is killing the people of God. Or God says, my people are perishing for the lack of wisdom, knowledge about God's holiness. And this is what Jesus says to us. The last thing that Jesus wants us to judge is judge that people who preach contrary to the words that Christ preached to us are false prophets. They're not Christians to begin with. People who struggle to live according to God's standard, people who teach or relax God's law, those are not brothers. They're actually false prophets is what Jesus is preaching to us. So this is a like a book of judgment. If like a, a sermon that tells us about the positive and the negative way to judge. If you're confused about the whole sermon, let's recap it in one minute. The first thing that Jesus taught us is don't judge others. Don't feel like you're righteous and sitting on a throne and judging others. By the same judgment you judge, you will be judged also. So be the person who struggles against their own sin. Use your judgment against yourself first. If you even want to help others, it's better to start by judging yourself and changing. And once you change, you'll be capable to see God's law clearly and to help others who are struggling the way you would struggle when you try to judge yourself and overcome your stumblings. He says, right after... Have the discernment, the judgment, the understanding to know who to share what with. Love the people of the world. Enjoy your life with them, but do not live with them as if they're believers, brothers and sisters. Do not argue with non-believers about things that they cannot even understand that are too complicated to understand from God's word. Present the gospel to them instead. With your brothers and sisters, don't live like we are strangers to one another. Live in harmony and in depth of relationship. Have that discernment. Treat different people differently. Jesus said, says to us, do not judge God as this God who's indifferent, who doesn't care about you. We being evil, Jesus says, we could give good gifts to our children. At least with that understanding, get this idea. If you being evil could give good gifts to, to your children, judge God as holy as he is and understand infinitely more he gives good gifts to his children. That's where your judgment should be. Don't be 
blinded by false religion or by your own perceptions of who God is. Understand them according to his word. And if you judge these things rightly, Jesus says, the cure for judging others, judging God wrongly, the cure for having no discernment to actually love, like interact with people appropriately according to where they stand, is because we do not ask God, whom we misjudge repeatedly. And if we do, the first thing that God gives us is an ability to complete the entire law, to love others as we love ourselves. And eventually, he says, judge those who preach to you contrary truth to what I have preached to you. The Apostle Paul says, even if it was us or an angel from heaven that judges or that, that preaches a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let that person be accursed. Let that angel be accursed. Even us, if we change our mind and preach to you something false, let us be cursed is what he's saying. Because it is deadly. So be careful who you listen to that is telling you something contrary to God's word. That is trying to update God's word. That is trying to make the hard parts easy and the easy parts hard for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for what you bring to us, Lord. Father, we are grateful. Your word says in this place, the law is fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, who believe in Christ Jesus. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Knowing your law, knowing your word, knowing what the Lord Jesus has preached in this place, we can see the burden. We can see the impossibility of doing these things. As my brother Manny has been praying earlier, and as we can see for ourselves in the verses of Scripture, it is impossible. You are holy and we are evil, Lord. But you didn't leave us, leave us in that condition. You rescued us from our death and trespasses and sins. You rescued us. You gave us a new nature. You, you literally placed us in Christ. You have placed your Holy Spirit in us. You have made us your tem temple, Lord. You have made us holy and blameless before you by the blood of Christ, by the cleansing of the blood of Christ. His righteousness, His perfect obedience is counted to us as righteousness, Lord. And we thank you for this. We want to praise you for this, Lord. But you didn't do that so that we can relax and live however. You did that so that we can be confident to pursue after righteousness, knowing that even though we stumble, the blood of Christ is able to cleanse us as soon as we repent. Not only that, you have given us power in the Holy Spirit to live a righteous life. As Romans communicates, the law is fulfilled in us who walk by the Spirit, who put to death the things of the flesh. 
by the power of the Word of God, by the power of the Spirit of God who lives in us. Knowing this, Jesus, you preach to us today to strive to enter through the narrow gates by going through the hard and narrow straight path. You're telling us life is going to be hard for you, Christian. Live faithfully, persevere in that life. The writer of Hebrews tells us you have not fought, wrestled with sin until the shedding of blood. That's what the Christian life is like. Jesus himself, literally, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, endured people mocking him, endured people spitting on him, endured people flogging him to do God's will. And he calls us to carry our cross, to deny ourselves first, to carry our cross and to follow after him, to die to ourselves and to live to God, to leave our own understanding, to leave our own judgments and our own self-righteousness, to leave our own treasures and to treasure God, to pursue after Him, to seek after the righteousness that God gives, and to live in a manner that ultimately we are capable and enabled to love others as we love ourselves. And that being to do to other people what we would want them to do to us. To really know that our life matters. What we do matters. What we think matters. What we say matter. To be people that are practical as well as reverently fearful towards God. That really seek, ask for the grace that God gives. Because without it, we can do nothing. Without abiding in Christ, we can do nothing. Without asking God to help us in this journey, we cannot even be joyful. But if you ask anything in my name, Jesus says, for this life that I have commanded you to live, it will all be given to you. So Jesus says, ask until you get your response from God. Ask until your life changes. Ask until your joy is full in obeying God and having a clear conscience and loving others as yourself. So we thank you, God. We thank you, our Father in heaven, who has provided for us these words of joy, these words of hope, who clearly tells us who we are and how hopeless we are, but by your grace have provided for us a way to live with you. Not a way to just subscribe to a false religion, but the true religion to live new lives according to your word empowered by your spirit. So Father, we thank you for this day and for these things that you have communicated with us. I pray that you go out with us through the rest of the, 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 rest of the week with the whole church, that we may truly worship you and seek after you, that we may truly do what you tell us to do, and that we may truly rejoice that even though we're not capable of doing your will, Lord, that you are graceful to us, that Christ died on the cross though, so that his righteousness may still make us joyful. His righteousness may still, as it is written in the Bible, rejoice in the Lord always, may fill our joy as we live and even see ourselves stumble and mourn after our sin, Lord. So we thank you for the completeness of your word, for the clarity of your word, for the help that you give us from heaven. We thank you, Lord, that you have an intimate relationship with us. 
and we treasure a God like you, the only God, the true God, the lover of our souls. For these things, we come before you to ask, Lord, give us these things. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. God bless you all. This